You're listening to an episode from our Design Thinking Season, a series of conversations with people talking about their ideas and experiences with the design thinking process, universal design and inclusive design. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Sarah. And I'm Ethan. In today's episode, we talk with Dennis Kennedy, an accessibility consultant and lecturer. You're very welcome to the podcast, Dennis. Thank you for having me. To start off, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a recent graduate of um, Disability Studies here at UCD. And uh, since that, I've gone on to form my own company, which is DK Accessibility, providing training and accessibility consulting to companies looking to increase their, their accessibility or their awareness of uh, employing disabil- people with disabilities. Um, I also have a background in mental health and, and uh, social care and a lecture in DBS, guest lecture. Limerick, I have guest lectured on the nursing program, and uh, I hope to do a course, be lecturing course in TU in September, which will be on entrepreneurship for people with disabilities. And for you, what is the essence of design? Uh, a protocol called universal design would be access for all. Um, so if you are designing for, you are designing not just for people with disabilities, you are designing for everybody. And as you know, if if it's if it's easy to use, it's easy for everyone to use. So if it's accessible for people with disabilities, it's going to be accessible for everybody. So having all the, I suppose, the three characteristics of good design would be environmental design, digital design, and customer service. And when you have all three, um, it, it really does fit into good design. So I mean by built environment, you have to, the environment is accessible on all floors. Uh, for people with physical, intellectual, developmental, sensory disabilities. Um, digital, is your website accessible? Um, is there accessible to people who, with visual impairments? Will it trigger any epileptic, you know, any epileptic fits in people with, with epilepsy? Um, are they in line with the WCAG standards, which are the web content accessibility guidelines? And then you've got customer service. Of course, having an understanding and awareness of your customers' needs or your your customers and your employees who have who may have um, different limitations. Good design, having accessibility, you know, pay the, the access the building is fully accessible, not just for one but for many, for as many as possible. If it's easy to access for people with disabilities, it's going to be you know, it's going to be easier for everyone to access. Like next year, we're going to have 20% of the population are going to be over the age of 65. So with that comes limitations. So not just having an inclusive environment, but having a welcoming environment as well and having maybe accommodations in place for people. And do we have to make trade-offs between accessibility and usability? Well, accessibility and, u- and usability are closely related, but... They're two quite different terms, and it, it's kind of important to acknowledge the difference between the both. So uh, I suppose access design is the design process where people with disabilities are considered first and foremost as as a kind of a, a target market. But not only that, it, it's kind of having people with disabilities involved in the, the design-making process. Now, a lot of companies would make the mistake where people with disabilities aren't included and they would pass the usability tests 
but would completely fall flat on their face when it comes to production or, or the, the selling the product because they did not include people with disabilities and they just made assumptions. I mean, it tends to be a one fits all process. You could have you could have a hundred you know, hundred people with the same disability and you could have a hundred different barriers, you know. So uh while it's impossible to to accommodate for everybody, it's important to um to have them peop have as many people with as many different limitations involved in the design making process and the decision making process. Can you talk about the challenge of making the case for accessibility from day one of the design process? Sure. Well, there's a lot. Like, uh, I suppose that a lot of a lot of companies would misconceive the notion of funding, or is it going to be costly? And the thing is, it's going to be less co- less costly if you do it in the beginning than if you do it, you know, down the down the line where it would be more costly. So, not only from a, a good business sense to make your product or your environment more accessible. It's easiest to do it in the in the in the beginning. But again there would be there would be government grants available to do this. And the reasonable accommodation grant for adapting for employees with disabilities. Um there would be different kind of grants. But um there would there would be some other challenges such as you would have companies who would be open to maybe Increasing the accessibility would be met by a lot of a lot of negative um, perception by certain shareholders. You know, it might be the forefront of the, the their vision, their goals. There might be the misconception where inclusive technologies isn't very profitable. You know, where we all use we all use uh, kind of assistive technology today. We all use technology that was developed for people with disabilities. So they would be the the main uh, the main areas. But my, I suppose my main, my main uh, challenge I see is the lack of awareness, the lack of awareness towards accessibility, and the lack of what, what how it makes perfect business sense, um, how it makes perfect business sense, and the social barriers that exist towards people with disabilities, particularly the attitudes. If it's seen as a minority group, it's not something that maybe shareholders want to fork out for. So I think if there is an increased awareness uh, towards disability, um, it would it would be a, a great uh, maybe a big benefit to overcoming them barriers. How do we raise awareness about accessibility requirements when pitching a project or product? Well, how do you raise awareness? It again, it would be it would be what your market your market research. It would be it would be saying the benefits towards your stakeholders or towards the your target market that you're doing this. Like a lot of companies now, like Nike and Reebok and, and a lot of these companies would would um, profit from being being accessible and and diverse and their clothing would be suitable for people with um, sensory needs. That you know they make their shoes and their their clothing more suitable. So a lot of companies are benefiting. But I suppose to show the show companies to show maybe investor shareholders of the research towards having being inclusive and and you know being diverse, but also incorporating people as well with different disabilities into your usability research as well. But it's not it's not only I mean it makes it's in your own interest to raise awareness because. 
I mean, it's it's very profitable. Like people with disabilities buy in bulk, and they're very, they're very, you know, if if something works for them, they're going to stick with it. You know, when you when you combine 1.3 billion people worldwide have disabilities, if you combine that with their family and friends, it's 2.2 billion. I mean, if you're not if you're not accessible, that's the market you're losing out on. You know. And how tough is your audience, and how do you try and get them on side when you're pitching this? Again, it would be it would be raising awareness, and it would be it would be stating that you are diverse and you are you are willing to adapt. But it's kind of building a reputation around being accessible. You know, I mean, if, if you have a if you have a product and it can be accessible by everybody, it's going to be more user friendly. You know, if if you have a, if you have something that's accessible. Or it's not usable. It, going back to your earlier question, it's something is not usable. Um, like you, you usable design as uh, creating pro, uh, products and environments that are easy to access for everybody, easy to use. So, for example, if you have a wheelchair toilet and it's accessible, but it's not usable, like the, the toilet could be too close to the door, you know, the, the door mightn't close. So it might be accessible, but it's not usable. And it goes vice versa. It could be usable but not accessible. So it's very important, going back to your earlier question, it is very important to uh, to, find that, to find that balance and distinguish the, distinguish the notions between accessibility and usability. Businesses more often think it's a one-fits-all one policy. So if, it, if they do make something wheelchair accessible, they know their job when it's not the case. I was in Microsoft there last year and... I mean, you go to each floor, has a different texture of on the floor, or they have specific colouring on the wall to distinguish for people with who maybe have developmental disabilities. Companies are really kind of catching on. So I think I think um, times are changing and people are kind of adapting. And how deep does access need to go? As as much as I mean, we live in a time where where technology is changing at a, a vast amount. So going back, we all use text messaging now. Text messaging was developed for people with who are deaf. And now it's part of our DNA nearly. We all, we're, all, we're all Zoomers, we're all like voice recognition software. But what about people with, vo- what about people with speech impediments? Can they use that technology? So even though it's there, is the functionality high enough? I mean, can... It goes. It's the same with people who speak different languages, different accents. You know, kind of pick up. So it's not just designing for a target. When you design for that specific target market, you're designing for everybody. You know, it makes it more. If if somewhere is relaxing for somebody with autism, it's going to be a much more relaxing environment for everybody, not just people with autism. So I think it should be embedded into design all around as a good way of of. Uh, just design in general, it should be fundamental. And how do we evaluate an app for different levels of accessibility use? Well, see, that, that's tough again. Again, it's gone back and it's can people with fine motor skills access the app? Can people, do people need to touch the app to access it? Can people access it with their voice? Can people access it with eye movement? You know, it's you've got such an array of different you know, people drive cars now with their he- by moving their heads. So would that be something that could be developed into an app? 
for somebody because of apps or touchscreen, but somebody with fine motor skills would not be able to access that. You know, but they might be able to access with their voice or their eyes or some other movement, maybe or maybe an app from their computer that reads the app. I'll give you an example, a job application uh, form. They, a company says that they're open to hiring people with disabilities, but people with visual impairments can't access that, that job application. Their e-reader, they might have the best e-reader in the world, but it may not pick up on the content of that website because it's not compatible with the regulations, with the WCAG regulations. So again, it's not only being compatible, but being open to how many, how many, you know, how many different impairments can we customize this to? What lessons have you learned that have changed your approach on new projects? I suppose just seeing people, seeing how technology evolves, but looking at the people struggling to to use them in general. And it's not just, I mean, if you have the assistive technology that maybe people with visual impairment use, I mean, you can use that technology to benefit yourself. So, I mean, there are the specific challenges, maybe not accommodating, going back to my earlier point, a nap, a nap might, be, it, it might be accessible, but it may not be usable. So having a distinction and finding the balance and bringing, pe- bringing those people into your market research, into your te- product testable, your testing stage, is significant because you might you might fall flat in your face if you make assumptions and that is not accessible. A barrier to me, I mean, if you're accommodating for one disability, it may be, chances are you're, you're excluding another disability. But, you know, you, you kind of just have to find the balance between the two. Uh, when you're doing market research, are there firms you can come in and give feedback or talk to the developers? Well, there's definitely... Um, organisations such as the Disability Federation of Ireland, the, Na- the National National Disability Authority would be another big one. IWA, finding someone on the inside who could provide you with maybe the people who, who want to take part in that research. And is it mostly private or public bodies? That are? Uh, well, a lot of would be state funded. So you're looking at NGOs, you're looking at... You're looking at um, that would provide uh, research to government agencies, so therefore it would be public. But if somebody, I mean, if, if somebody like Google wants to wants to supply or wants to ask um, staff with disabilities, or a company like Microsoft who capitalise on accessibility, uh, they actually invented accessibility. Uh, they would be, I mean, they, would they be more than willing? I mean, once you're not a competitor of theirs, I'm sure. They they uh, look at uh, they'd work with you, you know. Great. Well, we'll wrap up there. Thanks uh, for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode. See the description for links, credits, and license information. <laughs>